welcome to the Recycler Podcast. My name is David Connett, and we'd like to thank Static Control Components for sponsoring today's podcast. My guest today is Peter Mayhew, Director and Senior Analyst at Lightwords Imaging, and Zoltan Matthias, Director of International Sales at GM Technology. Welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks, David. Thank you. So, what's new in the agenda today, uh, Peter? Well, today, interesting agenda. We're going to go a little bit uh, on some legal issues. We're going to maybe get a little bit political as well. Certainly, there's some lots of information to share. And um, at the end of this show, we've got our, our regular food section. Oh, sorry, no, it's Apple that we're talking about at the end of the show. <laughs> but no, an interesting little meander through the news, as they say. Right, well, first story that's up is Canon suing 26 companies about their breach of patents that apply to the image runner copier yeah, series. This is an interesting story, isn't it? wasn't quite expecting this to appear at the time that it did, but uh, it takes us into a whole new area. Do you want to explain, David? Okay, so Canon have sued 26 companies in the US alleging that they've breached one or more patents that apply to uh, their image runner consumables. Now, they may or may not breach. Who knows? That's for the lawyers to argue and uh, the judges to judge. But here's my take on it. Those consumables have been recently introduced in the Xerox everyday range. And one or more of those consumables is produced by one or more of the companies that's on the list. So I get a sense that this is maybe a, a, a proxy legal action where Canon is having a pop at Xerox through these 26 uh, companies. Yeah. And it's quite important for Canon because this is their bread and, bread and butter machines uh, and consumables and they've got a an oem competitor who's uh, stealing the jam off their bread it's a it's an interesting one i must admit when i first saw this story pop up i think my heart sank just a tiny little step and then then my thought went to, to sort of you know here we go again was the, yeah. I think the second thought that went through my mind and then i you know, I reflected a little bit and I thought, okay, you know, maybe we're done with cartridges. Now we're moving on to containers and bottles that are coming under the uh, the patent microscope here. And I, and I think I was a little bit sad that with all the pressures on the industry post-COVID, and whilst I understand, you know, clearly there's some defence to be done here, some points to be you know, argued through from a patent point of view. But we do have to balance that against the environmental issues that we're facing right now and the whole issue of trying to encourage reuse as well. So I guess for me, my heart sank just a little bit there. I mean, I think it's just for Canon, it's a critical thing on, on a couple of fronts. It used to be that an OEM sues a company for patent infringement and they roll over. But we've seen now over in recent years that actually the aftermarket fights back. They defend their products. They argue the validity of the patents. And so this is, this is big for Canon. These are patents that affect their bread and butter income. Whilst you can't prejudge what the outcome is going to be, it's either these 26 companies are going to lose or some are going to roll over or some are going to argue the toss and Canon may or may not lose or end up you know, doing a deal. What's yeah. your take on it, Zoltan? Yeah, I was about um, to jump in. Obviously, this is uh, affecting the copier 
range yeah. of Canon. Yeah. And, you know, at GM we know a few things about copiers. Knowing uh, Canon being very, very strong with their copier range, especially on traditional market, and, you know, in the last five, six, seven years, they've been, they've been challenged on the copier scene by, uh, by others. I think you're very right on, on saying that this is really their bread and butter. I mean, this, uh, these SKUs for Canon are highly profitable, and I'm not surprised that um, they are they are going out and and protecting their own market share on that. Also, I'm not familiar. I didn't honestly saying I didn't looked into deeply into what the, what the claim is and what the patent is, but I'm assuming that this is something to do with the toner hopper, the container, the, the yep. cube. Uh, yep. Call yep. it that way. The neck of the toner mm. container. Yeah. Right. You know, as you said, it's it's for the judges to decide and the lawyers to defend to see yeah. what value of invention, you know, what uh, what will be the outcome of this claim. But uh, it's definitely definitely an issue where Canon needs to go after and protect their uh, their revenues. This is an interesting one. I, I just can't help but come back to this environmental point a little bit, if I may. You know, it's um, Canon are very clear on their on their, their website, in their sustainability reports and so on, how they'll you know defend their intellectual properties and, and quite rightly too. Um, they also are starting now to talk on their website in their you know in their various environmental pages about reuse, and I and I, I guess that must be an area of work in progress. It's going to be interesting to see how this um, pans out. I think as we um, as we go through the coming months and years. Well, oh yeah, you know. This is not good. There's going to be no decision here in the next few weeks. This is, you know, this is going to wind its way through the courts and, and whatever. And but I think for Canon, it's a major call for them. So uh, we'll, we'll watch this one and see. But I, I promise you, we're not going to bore you with every single filing and submission and all the rest of it. What's next, Peter? Well, let's move over to the, our dear friends at the, uh, at the EU and the uh, European Commission. All right. have introduced some new labels for us to, uh, to swoon over when we go uh, shopping for our white goods. Um, <laughs> they've updated the, uh, the energy labels for the white goods, which is obviously your fridges, your freezers, your dishwashers and uh, washing machines and so on there. In essence, what they've done here, I think we're all familiar with these labels. They have these series of, uh, of bars on the left-hand side from a, a green A down to a, a red the, what they've done here is they've actually expanded the scale now down to a letter G, which is now the sort of strong red uh, part of the of the code. And um, they've re-rated an awful lot of products now which to bring them into the middle because we, we're in a scenario here where energy efficiency of most products was starting to fall as, a, as an A or an A, a star or even up to an A triple star, and it was becoming a little bit um, uh, meaningless because everybody was falling into that same sort of A star or A plus or A plus 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 bracket. So yeah. big change. Yeah, they've gone backwards. It is good and it is relevant. And I understand that whilst it applies to domestic white goods at the moment, that will roll out. And again, France is in the UK have adopted it as well. And France has also introduced a repairability index. So again, you're starting to see member states in the European Union and plus the UK, starting to you know, really address some of these issues to give consumers confidence that things can be repaired and the energy consumption. What I liked about this, David, was the, um, 
In parallel with these labels being introduced, there was uh, also the new regulation around improved repairability, which you know means that uh, manufacturers now have to make available spare parts that can be delivered to you in within 15 days uh, as well. And you're right, you know, okay, up today it's it's the it's the white goods. I think light bulbs and lamps are, are the next group to be come under this uh, new labelling. But over time, we're going to see an awful lot more electronic uh, equipment come under this rating system. What I also liked was the QR code that's on here, which a lot of access now to information about the product that you're buying. It may just be the specification sheet or access to the PDF of the, of the data sheets there, but um, that starts to open up all sorts of other interesting opportunities. I'm going to draw a line at that point. I'm not going to say that open takes you down a marketing particular pathway. That's not... That could be implied, but um, I don't know that that's actually the case. But it yeah. has opened up all sorts of opportunities through that QR code now. Will this labelling impact on you, Zoltan? On the label label side, I think there's a few things I just took note right now while, uh, while you were talking. I think customers are getting smarter and smarter. And yeah. um, I think labels are helping customers to make better choices. So labels are welcome in, yeah, I in my view. Completely. Clear labeling is brilliant. A funny story. Uh, the other day I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about, have you seen people shopping in supermarkets with their mobile phones scanning barcodes of uh, food items? So, I do that. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> so we're, we're all getting smarter and smarter, and there is there, there are smart applications out there who help us make better choices. The question here is twofold when it comes to a label how it's rated, what's in the rating, and what factors are in that label. You know, you mentioned repairability, reusability, echo design, you know, at what extent these are factored into these labels and, uh, you know, how they help customers to make better choices. And then there is the marketing aspect, like, yeah. uh, you know, each label works as much as uh, the marketing and the awareness behind it. It's definitely reuse and, and, and circular economy is on the table. Um, it's really much on the, on the front of the eyeballs of every customer. When it comes to label, if that label is supposed to bring value to make better choices, then I think we have to support that. Absolutely. And, you know, the world is changing. I mean, I know we all talk about circular economy, but actually it is it's like a, a whole fleet of super tankers and that it needs time to change. In the next five, ten years, circularity is going to be as prevalent as linear. And linear is going to be seen as old-fashioned and bad. And I think all companies really have about five years to embrace circularity in the, in their business. Whatever business they're in, you know, they, they, they've really got to look at that and, and get circularity into their business strategy fairly soon. Because if they wait five or ten years, the market will have moved on beyond them. We are at the start of a journey here. Yeah. I think especially within our industry, whether you're looking at new hardware and new supplies or you're looking at remanufactured and reuse, we're at the start of a journey here. Um, I think we all have this sort of vision of where we may end up, you know, where we can repair products, where we have easy choice of a, of a reuse, of a remanufactured or a new 
supply. But you can see that the steps slowly started to come into place, uh, doing some research in round reuse, and I on an OEM's website. I was really quite gratified to see that that OEM had started to bring onto the website a very powerful database, not complete yet, but work in progress, that really helped steer somebody looking for information about reuse and who wanted the right to repair their printer, whether that was a consumer printer, a laser jet, or, or whatever that product was. Yeah, they could get the parts wherever they were in the world. You could click through, access the part, get them delivered. Not there yet by any means. No, Long but it, way it, to go. It's you couldn't do it on supplies, but we're, we're on the pathway, you know. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's going. It's going. Ahead yeah. of the interview, I'd just like to thank Static Control for sponsoring us because it's important that uh, we can get the message out. So, um, Zoltan, you, GM Technologies got a new partner program. Tell us all about it. What is Yeah, the- basically, uh, we're looking to bring value. We're looking to, uh, to add value to our product. We find that adding value to partner programs is the way to stand out, differentiate ourselves there, and finding benefits to be able to work better with customers. Um, so we brought on a new uh, program where basically started out very simple, like uh, like all good things on a meeting, saying, listen, we have a, a remanufacturing community out there with manufacturing capabilities, and um, we, had, we got many requests from traditionally printer-focused companies uh, who, would, who would want to engage with the copier channel. They simply told us, like, I, you know, I, I won't buy your finished products because I'm a manufacturing company and I would like to produce. So basically we just put our heads together and say, okay, well, we can still work together. So we designed a program where we can partner with, uh, with companies with manufacturing capabilities. We can share our resources, uh, what we have on the copier channel, meaning empty cartridges, reclaimed original toners that we use in our production, our production know-how, testing results. So we can we can develop a partnership with uh, with these companies, so they can uh, they can start producing their own products and engage with the copier channel they didn't do before. So if I'm a remanufacturer, what are the benefits for me? What you know, if I go down this road, what am I likely to benefit from? Well, complementing your product range with a product that you didn't have on board without. Okay. Without spending the R&D, the time and obviously the investment on the R&D, we've done that and we're happy to share it with you. Those raw materials are tested. Our production is running entirely on empty original toner hoppers, which we clean by default. So we have a large operation where we sort, recondition, polish, and pack those cartridges in in boxes of 50 pieces. Often we already reset the chip on them, so they are basically ready to fill. So it's a raw material state. We can can either plug that into our production or sell it off as a box of 50 empty cartridges reconditioned with the reset chip, and it's it's basically a raw material for you as a remanufacturer. Okay, so getting down to the money side of it, what if I'm a remanufacturer, what sort of margins can I expect to make? It's going to get down to your your labor cost and, and your manufacturing costs. The big difference, yeah, obviously we're talking to manufacturing companies who are used to all-in-one cartridges. Yeah. Average 40, 50 components there, OPC drums to deal with, etc., etc. When we come to um, a copier cartridge, we're talking about a plastic hopper, a chip and toner in it. Yeah. So it's going to be very easy for you to figure so, it out. 
so one person could be more productive than 50 other people. Absolutely. So if you, you know, your, your main investment or your, your challenge there is going to be engaging with the channel and finding those customers to, to buy those copier uh, products from you. Okay. Production cost will be extremely easy to calculate because the three raw material, the empty cartridge, the chip and the toner, you have it black and white on a paper and you factor in your fixed cost and manufacturing filling time. And, and you get enough empties and enough uh, recovered OEM toner? Yeah, I think this is our, this is probably the biggest benefit of GM. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, GM's in, in the second-hand uh, machine business since 27 years. We go through a lot of machines through our, uh, our reverse logistic agreement with, uh, with MPS providers. Just to give you an idea, in Seville we have 11,000 square meters. Roughly any given day we have somewhere between 15 to 18,000 equipment on stock. Wow. Yeah, so the volume, the volume is, is definitely there. We have enough empties, we, uh, we have enough toner, you know, it's there. Okay. Any remanufacturers listening out there, then if they want to expand into uh, the copier side, GM Technologies, uh, the first door to knock on, I think. Yeah, I think it's not easy though. You know, I, it's not, it's not, it's not easy as me transitioning from the traditional, uh, remanufacturing and, and printer focused all in one cartridge producing market to, uh, to a copier. Uh, channel, I have to tell you, it's a very, very different market. It's a completely yeah. different channel. So, if you're a remanufacturer who has been doing production on, on printers in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, engaging with a copier channel, it's going to be challenging and it's going to be different. But, uh, the rewards are there. So, we're all interpreters in this industry. So, I think, uh, you know, engaging with a new channel, it yeah. always, uh, it's always challenging. It is, but at the end of the day, if we accept where we are in the market today, uh, I mean, I would suggest that the market that we're in has changed more in the last year than it's anticipated it would have changed in the next five years before COVID or has changed more in the last year than it has in the last 10 years. So I think change is there, and I think printing technology is its not exciting anymore. It almost hurts my heart to say it, but it, it's not. In an office environment, it's, it's like the devil, you know, because nobody likes to deal with it. The kettle, the water cooler, nobody gets excited about the printer they've got in the corner. And I think if you're in the printing business, then you, you've got to be following the trends that are evolving. So if that's second-hand printers, you know, refurbished printers, consumables, copiers, you've got to go out there. Cause, but apart from the investment in producing the product, you actually have to make this significant focus on marketing your products and training your sales team to actually engage and win the business other than being the cheapest. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, there's an interesting thought there, and you know that could be a topic for a, for another long conversation. But the market is driving the change. And you know, if we feed back to the to the energy labels that we spoke about, and people scanning food with mobile phones in the supermarket, and changing habits based on based on that. In the printing industry, exactly, the market is driving that change, especially right now, uh, people looking at saving costs. Circular economy is pretty much in front of everybody. So when we talk about a printer in an office being a necessary bad thing there, and, you know, if there is an option to 
to do that cheaper, more efficiently, greener, then it's a very persuasive uh, argument there. So I think, uh, you know, when market is driving the change, then I think changes uh, tend to be quicker than when, you know, it's being pushed down from above. I quite agree. So what else is there to know about your program, Zoltan? Nothing much else, really. I mean, it's a very simple approach. We already had partner programs for our toner distributors. We had a circular economy partner program for our green line refurbished machines. It's really this uh, remanufacturing partner program, which is new, is basically saying, look, there, are, there, there is capacity out there, and, and we want to move forward the reuse and the circular economy movement. So why don't we try to get more people into reuse, and why don't we try to get more people involved in the, in the copier channel and, and make sure that we can, uh, we can reuse more and more products there. It has been very, very simple for, from our end. Okay, question to both of you before we uh, move on to the next topic. Do you think the traditional printer channel and copier channel are going to morph into an imaging channel soon? My point of view on that, I, I think they're already starting to you know, head in that uh, in, in that direction. Uh, is a um, where does an MF end and a, and a copier start? You know, I know we've had this conversation, certainly I have, with my uh, friends at Key Point Intelligence uh, in Europe several times over now, and, you know, we argue whether it's a cartridge or whether it's defined by a cartridge or a, or a container. But I think in terms of just, you know, beyond the product, in terms of the channel, I, I think um, we're already starting to walk down that pathway. That's my view. And you, Zoltan? Yeah, I mean, if, if you refer, well, I would approach it from, a, from a, a life cycle point of view. Certainly in the copier channel, the life cycle of a product is getting shorter and shorter still. We, within our collection program, we're getting higher and higher quality machines back, where, let's say, the cost of remanufacturing the hardware is getting lower, the quality of a remanufactured machine is getting higher, and hence it just makes sense. So, you know, if you say becoming an imaging channel, meaning extending the remanufacturing to, to hardware, to consumables, software, combining that and, you know, giving an overall service, an overall value proposition to the customers, then definitely. I definitely see that this is the way we move. I think... Uh, big part of the success that we experience at GM Technologies because we have the hardware, we have the consumables and, and we have the experience of how an MPS company runs profitably and you know, approach the whole, the whole industry from that, that point of view. Absolutely. Okay, great. Okay, well, thanks for that insight into your program, uh, Zoltan, and I'm sorry we uh, maybe talked longer than we thought, but uh, I'll edit out all the bad bits. Um, What's next, Peter? Yes, I think we need to uh, get on to our cooking section and talk about apples. Yeah, what's the story here about uh, Big Sur, David? Big Sur, Apple's latest uh, operating system. If you uh, update it, depending on the printer you've got, the printer might not be there. And it seems to be a, a fairly recent experience. Big Sur came out in October. Typically, uh, a lot of people are reporting some issues with Lexmark printers, older printers. After they've updated, they can't see the printer. And there is a workaround. Basically, you have to delete the printer that you've got, and then you've got to use a driver for a generic PostScript printer 
which means that your printer will work, but you won't have all the functionality that's in uh, the printer. So it's not particularly a Lexmark issue. It is, you know, printer OEMs in general. I first read it and I thought, ah, typical Apple, typical of big organization, you know, printer OEMs, you know, blah, blah. But then I thought, no, this is, this is more of an issue about updater beware. If you're going to update your operating system, you have to make sure that you know, the things that are connected to your computer are going to work afterwards. And if you don't, it, and if you update them and you don't, is it really Apple's fault or the printer OEM's fault or Microsoft's fault? And in some respect, I think it isn't. It's a bit like if you put diesel in your petrol car or vice versa, you know, you're the driver, it's your fault. But then I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you've updated your operating system. The printer OEM may not have updated the printer driver for years. And what incentive has he got to update it? Because, you know, you've got a three- or a four-year-old printer. He doesn't update it. You end up having to go out and buy a new printer, or you have to use the printer you've got with reduced functionality. And I think that's wrong. And this is where I think in this right to repair, etc., OEMs, manufacturers have really got to support their products a lot longer. And that may well mean that they've got to update their uh, printer drivers more often. You're absolutely right, Dave. That's really where the interface is here. You know, there, there are so many sort of things and factors that can, that can, can affect you know, usability. And they almost feel, you know, it's this whole question of obsolescence, isn't it? You know, that yeah, one yeah. person changes one thing, as you say, like Apple here with an operating system. Before you know where you are, a print that was perfectly functioning and fine, you know, even though it was on older drivers, it suddenly yeah, becomes unusable. But it's actually perfectly functional. It's just accelerating that whole obsolescence issue and creating waste. And, and it needs some more joint that's my view, anyway. And a few people have been caught out like it. And, you know, again, I think for me, the message is don't upgrade your operating system till you've checked out all the uh, periphery, all the peripherals that are connected to your computer, whether it's a, a driver, a printer, a fax machine or whatever, you know, because otherwise you're in trouble. And we got it tipped off about it because uh, someone we know runs a, a graphics business and they've got a big wide format printer. They upgraded their Apple system, the big sir, and that big wide format printer <laughs> doesn't get seen now. <laughs> uh, so they they actually bought a second-hand Mac with uh, an earlier operating system on and reinstalled everything. So, yeah. yeah, it can be expensive if you get it wrong. Yeah, don't get me started on wide format environmental issues. We could spend a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting on Apple's side, though, because Apple is very strong on the graphics side, I think, so yeah. ignoring printing, it's... Uh, I was, uh, whilst you were talking, I was thinking about, remember when they uh, when they deleted the jack from the mobiles? Yeah. So everybody ended up headphones with jacks yeah. <laughs> being, being thrown away. Yeah. You know, might as well, Apple just prioritized and say, Okay, so what's the percentage of printers hooked up on 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 our computers nowadays? I mean, we we use Macs in, in in the office because it's better to have a common system. I tend to be using Word and Excel most, and you don't really need a Mac for that. But on the the phone side, I I moved away. I feel that phones are generally not worth the price that they're charging. So a couple of years ago, I bought a Chinese spy phone, a Huawei. And it's fine, it's fine. But since then, I've come across another phone called Fairphone, where actually, you know, you, you buy it, all the bits are available, you can get replacement batteries, you know, they'll support it. It's an Android device, but they support it. 
And I think it's brilliant. You know, the concept. So my next phone will be a fair phone for sure. I mean, that, that really comes down again to the user. You know, you said if you're, if you care about the environment, if you care about, you know, repairability and all that, just don't upgrade anything. Yeah. And if you do, then make sure that the, the, the supplier gives you an option to roll back or just wait two, three, four, five months after the upgrade and just don't upgrade it. If, exactly. that's, if that is a factor in, in your decision. And I think we as an aftermarket, you know, with a circular focus, have just got to be reinforcing that message. Don't upgrade if you don't need it. You know? yeah. and, and if you do upgrade, make sure that you've got a rollback facility. Thanks, uh, Peter and Zoltan, for uh, taking part. Good luck. And yeah. we'll speak again soon. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening. And thanks to Static Control for sponsoring today's podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. All right, take care and speak to you soon. <laughs>